1985, through a, a long, crazy scenario of, of events, uh, basically what happened is a man got saved, or he got saved in California, moved back to Cape Cod, Massachusetts, and when he was there, he actually ran into an old friend of his who uh, lived out in Northampton, Massachusetts, which, put that in perspective, is about a three-hour drive. And so they, they met. Uh, the family was down on summer vacation. He had just, uh, the man from Northampton, Massachusetts, had just gotten, uh, he had been saved, but the church that they were in had just fallen apart. They were looking for a new church. They were invited to Victory Chapel. They came to Victory Chapel on Cape Cod, through the process of time, brought about eight people that were looking for a church down. They would come down for weekends, come down often on Saturday, stay for the music scene, go back Sunday afternoon. Some would even dare to venture to stay for the evening service. And eventually, Pastor Paul Stevens started a Bible study up in Northampton. And we would go up, and I was part of that that went up, Every week, I had no idea that eventually that church would become the Chicopee Church and that I would pastor it. I just went up. I would play guitar in in Bible study, which eventually turned into a song service out of those people. And what's very interesting is none of the eight people survived, but the church was birthed. Out of all of that, when we would drive up, we would have to leave at right after work, 5.30, I think we'd have to, uh, or 4.30, we'd have to leave in the van, we'd get in the van. This was actually the first time I spoke, I really had a conversation with my wife. We, she went on one of the Bible studies. It was just four of us. We ended up sitting next to each other talking. Little did I know that she would become my wife at that moment. I of course, thought she was absolutely gorgeous, which she is. But, you know, anyway. I say all that to say this. When we were driving up, exit 19 at the time, I can't, they've changed all the exit numbers off of Route 495, was a McDonald's. And Pastor Stevens would take an order. He would get the order straightened out, and we would pull into the drive-thru every Thursday night. And he would order for the van. And he would order 32 cheeseburgers, 16 fries, and 16 Cokes, and they would freak out. Really? Yeah. Sir, you're going to have to pay for that first. That's fine. But we would end up waiting, so we got to the point where they got used to us, and they eventually didn't make us do that. There were totally 16 people, 15 people, maybe it was 30, I can't remember. I think, I remember it being an, uh, 32, maybe I was, you know, I was 17, 18 at the time, maybe I was eating three or four cheeseburgers myself. But anyway, he would make this order, and they'd be overwhelmed. Like, we can't, we, you know, fast food, they're supposed to be able to deal with this. But that they, at that particular moment, they're like, no. And so they would eventually get it to us. We'd have to wait a few minutes uh, and, uh, as, as they would process this order. In this text we're going to read, the disciples are looking at 5,000 men. And they're overwhelmed. Like, how in, how in the world are we going to see 
them eat. How are we going to get? This is not a bad thing that they're looking at, but the reality here is Jesus has taken them out there to teach them a lesson as well. And so I want to consider with you the feeding of the 5,000 this morning. John chapter 6, beginning in verse 1, it says, After this, Jesus crossed over to the, uh, over the far side of the Sea of Galilee, also known as the Sea of Tiberias. And a huge crowd kept following him wherever he went. And, uh, and because they had saw the miraculous signs and been he- uh, that he had healed the sick. Jesus climbed on a hill and sat down with the disciples around him. It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration and soon saw a huge crowd of people coming to look for him. Turning to Philip, he asked, where can we buy bread to feed all of these people? He was testing Philip for he already knew what he would do. And Philip replied, even if we worked for months, we couldn't have enough money to feed them. And Andrew, Simon's Peter's brother, spoke up and said, There's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fishes, but what good is that among a huge crowd? Tell everyone to sit down, Jesus said. And so they sat down on the grassy slopes, and the men alone numbered 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves and gave thanks to God and distributed them to the people And afterwards, they did the same with the fish, and they all ate as much as they wanted. After everyone was full, Jesus told the disciples, Now gather up the leftovers so nothing is wasted. So they picked up the pieces and filled 12 baskets with the scraps left by the people who had eaten from the five barley loaves. It's very interesting. The feeding of the 5,000 is one story that is mentioned in all four Gospels. There's not a lot of stories that are mentioned in all four Gospels. John is writing much after Mark's Gospel had been written, which was probably used uh, to help Matthew uh, and Luke write, and they all wrote for different reasons, and I won't get into all the theology there. But this story is put in all four Gospels because I believe God is trying to teach us a lesson from this story. I want to talk to you firstly about the need that is obvious. The obvious need, of course, is that there are people here who need to eat. Jesus is, it's been a hot day. It's been, they've been following Jesus around. Now he's in a desert Region. He's in a place where it is uh, rural wouldn't be the way to say it. Uh, uh, and it's not like here, of course. It's more desert. It's dry. There's less resources. Uh, there's less opportunity for people to see their needs met. There wouldn't have been, uh, you know, a rest stop uh, on the throughway that you could just pull over and get a Tim Hortons coffee uh, and maybe an Abbott's ice cream uh, and go on your way. That would not have been there. They would have been far from where they could have gotten what they need. And the disciples see this. Jesus sees this. Mark, uh, Matthew's version of this, and we'll look at all the different ones. 
Matthew 14, 15 and 16 says, That evening the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place, and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, That isn't necessary. You feed them. And so the disciples see the need. They're like, this is a problem. Lord, they, these people are getting hungry. They're, they're not, you know, uh, there's no resources here. We've got to send them away. We've got to take care of them. Jesus doesn't seem bothered by this. Now, some of you know that in one of the Gospels, it was stated that they had 200 denarii. But what is so little among so much? 200 denarii wasn't just, you know, a few dollars. 200 denarii would have been about eight months' wages. So we put that in perspective today, that would have been in the neighborhood of $30,000, $40,000. But they realized there's 5,000 men. I don't know if you realize this, but you can't take even to McDonald's or Burger King or Wendy's, even for the goodie grab bag there for five bucks. You can't take 10,000 people there and feed them for for that kind of money. It's not going to happen. And so they do say we've got two loaves or five loaves and two fishes. Five barley loaves. These would have been little pieces of bread. These would have not been full, like, you know, Wegman loaves. These would have just been little things that people would have eaten. Little dinner rolls, if you will. And two little fishes. This would have been just what it says in one of the Gospels, a boy's lunch. And Andrew says, what is so little among so Many. They see the need. They also see their lack of ability being in a desperate or a desolate place. We're spoiled in the United States. I, I, I have heard through, uh, I don't know, you know, there was the uh, Theranos, you know, uh, whole fiasco and all that. And she was asked, she was trying to get her, her fake machines into all of the Walgreens in the United States. And she made the statement that no one in the United States lives more than 20 miles from a Walgreens. I bet we live closer to Walmarts. I know we all live closer to McDonald's. Because they're everywhere. Right? There's food and resources everywhere. We can't really grasp this thought of a desolate space. I can, we can grasp the thought of being lazy, if you will, but we can't grasp the thought of being desolate. That even in the most remote places of the United States, which would be all in the West, in parts of, uh, you know, of Arizona and maybe, you know, New Mexico or Utah or somewhere, you're still not that far from civilization. But these people had no cars. They had no ability. There were no 
you know, transit societies. There were no Greyhound buses or airplanes. There was no ability for them to get from where they were. So not only do the disciples see the need, they also see the lack of resources that are around. They see the lack of the ability to feel like they can meet them. They know they can't. Philip does, in our text, say the crowd is so huge. People are, he said, we, where could we buy food to feed all these people? Even if we could take them to a place to buy, where could we go? We go into a village of 4,000 people with 5,000 men plus their you know, wives, children, the women, all that. They're, they're not going to be prepared for that. They're not going to be able to handle that. I had a team when I was in Ireland come. There were 54 people on the team. And so I had to go to restaurants ahead of time and make arrangements. Okay, we're going to bring this many people in at this time. Are you good with that? And a few of them said, no, 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 lad, can't help you. Why? That'd be too much. We don't have the staff. We can't get the food for it. And what if we bought all the food and you didn't show up? Where could we go to feed all these people? They realize they don't have enough money. They don't have enough resources. They don't have enough ability to do anything that would change this. I'll try. The popping, Aiden asked me to stand still. Maybe that'll make the popping go away. Philip says, even if we worked for a long time, 12 months, for months, we couldn't, we couldn't feed all these people. We couldn't make this work. They realized their lack and their inability to meet the need. You ever feel that way? I feel that way sometimes on outreach. I look at the, the needs here in Rochester. From the dirt poor to the stinking rich that are still going to wind up in the same hell. Do you know that? Doesn't matter how much money you have here. If you're not living for God, you're going to hell. I can feel overwhelmed. I can feel very frustrated at times to know that there's issues that I can't meet. I realized a long time ago that although I wanted to be a pastor, I couldn't be a savior. It's way above my pay grade. I can't fix people's problems. And yet in the midst of this, God is testing his people. 
In verse 6 of our text, it says that he was testing Philip for he already knew what he was going to do. God knows what he's going to do. He's got a plan. God is not as overwhelmed as you are. You know, when we feel frustrated, somehow we think God should be frustrated. When we feel overwhelmed, we think God should be overwhelmed. When we feel hopeless, we think God should feel hopeless. But he doesn't. He's not subject to our feelings. He asked Philip, who was obviously feeling very overwhelmed, can you believe for a miracle? Let me ask whatever your situation is right now. Whatever you're going through right now, can you believe God for a miracle? Oh yeah, but there's this need and there's this overwhelming and there's this problem and don't you understand? Yes, I do. Can you believe God? For a miracle. Verse 9 of our text. There's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fishes. But what good is that among a huge crowd? What is so little among so many? And God is looking and evaluating and he's saying, Can you believe me even though you see nothing but lack? You see nothing but inability to see good things happen. Romans 11.33, oh, how great are God's riches and wisdom and knowledge. How impossible it is for us to understand his decisions and his ways. That God is testing now the disciples, the apostles. And sometimes he'll test us the same way. We're well aware of the need, but can you believe for a miracle? We're well aware of our lack, but can you believe God for a miracle? He causes them to ask two things. Will you do two things? One, will you obey me? Make them sit down in groups of 50. This is what Luke says, Luke 9, 14. For there were about 5,000 men. And Jesus replied, tell them to sit down in groups of about 50 each. Matthew 14. And he told the people to sit down on the grass and took the five loaves and two fishes and looked up to heaven and blessed them. Breaking the loaves into pieces, he gave the breads to the disciples and said, distribute them among the people. Can you imagine them breaking the bread and going, (laughs) yeah, this is going to last for about two seconds. This is, this is going to, this is a joke. This is, you know. But they're willing to obey. Sometimes God will tell you to do things that you think are ridiculous. There's people who don't tithe because they think that's ridiculous. God says, if you'll obey me, I'll bless you. Well, I don't know how that will work. You can do everything you can on your human nature, but you can never do more than God can on his godly nature. They also have to speak faith. I kind of picture them, they're they're together. 
you know, they're like, they're talking to Jesus, and he's like, yeah, have them sit down in groups of 50, and I'm going to feed them. You really think this is going to work? Andrew, you sure? Okay, folks, what we need you to do is do what the Lord said, right? They have to obey, and they have to speak what they've heard, even though they don't believe it. Sometimes you have to speak faith when you, even when you don't fully believe it. You're going to have to go, okay, you know, Lord, this seems crazy, but I am going to speak faith. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. My ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, my thoughts higher than your thoughts. They were going to have to learn that God could do something even when they didn't see it. And of course, they received the miracle. We all, you know, we don't know if the people knew this. We have no idea if if they were aware that there was so little when they were told to sit down. Imagine a few people probably did, but the large majority, 5,000 people, probably had no idea. Oh, the Lord told us to sit down. Let's sit down. You know, what's going on? We're going to get lunch. Okay, that's great. And they all sit down, and they have no idea that all they have in the back kitchen is five loaves and two fishes. How are we going to make this work? I don't know. But we know the disciples did. They knew this. We see the first provision was supernatural. That they were just giving and distributing and distributing and distributing and distributing and distributing and distributing. My wife pointed out in her Bible reading a very interesting thing. You know, Elisha goes to the widow at Zarephath. And says, you know, before you make that final cake for yourself, make it for me, and then you go make one for your, for your... And she does. And throughout the entire famine, it never fails. But then her son grows sick and dies. And Elisha comes on the scene and resurrects the son. And the widow makes the statement, now I know you're a man of God. <laughs> what? What did you think? A, a grain vomiting mole got into your bucket and just kept, and there was more grain, and there was more grain, and there was more grain? What did you think? Wasn't until the resurrection of her, now I know you're a man of God. We're amazing like that when it comes to provision. Somehow we miss it. They also had to learn the lesson, God's not as limited as you are. Yes, you can see all your limitations. You know, as a pastor, sometimes from time to time, I have helpful people who try to point out all my limitations. Like, I'm well aware of them. (laughs) God made great impact on not only the disciples, but all the people. This multitude would follow and follow and follow and There'd be other things, and they would all remember that. Remember the day. Remember the day. 
But the greatest lesson here really isn't necessarily the feeding of the 5,000. It's the baskets that were gathered afterwards. Jesus tells his disciples, you go and gather the baskets that are left. Make sure nothing is missed. And they gather back 12 baskets. Now, I'm going to stretch your theology here. I'm going to ask you to just stay with me on this theological conundrum. All right, 12 baskets. Right? People are in biblical numbers all the time. What do you think this number is? And there's some measure of that, but I'm not as into it as many people. I think some people make it into Christian astrology. But anyway, 12 baskets. Wow, 12. What's the deep meaning of 12 baskets? It's a biblical number. Oh, yeah, there were 12 disciples. Hello? It's God telling us that if you will do his will, not only will he meet the need of the moment, he'll take care of you. He'll work back to make sure you are taken care of. The principle simply is, if you're trying to give the world the bread of life, God will make sure you receive the bread of life. If you give yourself over to this, he knew what he was doing. They were, he was pouring his life into all people. And yet God would have that ability now to meet the needs of those who will labor for him. God knows your personal needs way ahead of you. And that when you give yourself over, this is, why, this is where many people get afraid to do the will of God. Well, what if I run out? What if I give myself and God doesn't give back to me? And yet he, he not only feeds the 5,000, he makes sure there's 12 baskets for them. Takes care of them. God sees your personal needs. God knows exactly what your personal needs are. This goes way beyond money, by the way. This can involve money, but it can go way beyond money. There's people, you're afraid of being alone. You're afraid of becoming lonely. There's people who are afraid if... If I give myself over to the ministry, I'm not going to have, my marriage will fall apart, or my this will, or my kids, or whatever. They're afraid. But God sees your needs, and he's got a plan. He did this to test Philip because he knew he had a plan. Romans 8.28, we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purposes. God will work things out. The problem, though, is human nature. And it becomes the lesson unlearned. Jesus in Mark, in Matthew 16, he warns them, watch out. 
Jesus warned them, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Right? He's talking about their doctrine. He's talking about their religious attitude. That He says, you be careful that you don't take on that religious attitude. And it just becomes this thing. At that point, Uh, At this, it says, they began to argue with each other because they hadn't brought enough bread. Jesus says, beware the yeast of the Sadducees and Pharisees. And they're like, dog, we didn't bring enough bread. (laughs) What? Jesus knew what they were saying. He said, do you have so little faith? Why are you arguing about having no bread Do you not understand yet? Do you remember the 5,000 I fed with five loaves and the baskets which you picked up afterwards? Or the 4,000 that I fed with seven loaves and the large baskets that you picked up after? Why can you not understand? I'm not talking about bread. So again, I say beware of the yeast of the Sadducees. And the Pharisees, and they understood that he was speaking about, uh, he wasn't speaking about yeast and bread. He was speaking about the deceptive teachings of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They got it. But a lesson unlearned. It's amazing. As soon as someone hits another need, it's like, oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. God's saying, didn't you learn? Don't you remember I took care of you back then? Don't you remember I did it before? I've not changed. I'm still the same God. I still have the ability to work it out and take care of it today. Why then are you freaking out about a new need when God's already shown you he's the miracle working God? He'll work it through. He'll change things. He has the ability to save people. He has the ability to minister and break through in hearts and lives. That's what God can do. 1943 was the peak of the Second World War. America was fighting on two fronts. We were absolutely strained to the limit on resources. Had we actually been attacked on our own soil, it would have been doubtful that we would have been able to keep that resources up. To absolutely, we're stretched. We've got, you know, they actually had to break it into just two. Basically, as far as the Pentagon was concerned, it was two wars. It was one war, but it was two wars. The European theater of operation and the Pacific theater of operation, the ETO and the PTO. And as they were doing this, they were stretched. They, uh, President Roosevelt, Democrat at the time, was very desperate and couldn't figure out how to work this through. And we had just been bombed, Pearl Harbor and different things. And he had to break his policy. Now, if you understand politics, and I'm not going to get into all of the details of this, but we had just been in the Great Depression, and they had blamed the businesses. He had destroyed a big relationship with 
big businesses, such as with Ford and with GM and General Electric and such, had, had demonized them. But now we had to go to them and say, would you help? 1942, the wars had taken on different levels, but now, 1943, we're ramping up. This is the beginning of four, end of 42, four, beginning of 43, ramping up. We're going to win these wars. It's not like we can just sit back and fight them on the old resources. He began to ask these plants, can you help? Ford changed over from making automobiles to making airplanes, began to make different airplanes to begin. General Electric got into making turbine engines, which they actually still make today, plane engines and such. They got into that through this. They began to mobilize. We became the, what was known then as the industrial military complex, that the absolute creating of that. And from that point, we were able to turn the whole thing in two years. But he had to then go to and humble himself and say, you know what, we can do this. You know, some of you would be worthy for you to humble yourself and come before God and say, God, I can't do this on my own. I have overwhelming needs. I can't do it on my own. I need you to help me. Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. Now, all the glory of God who is able through his might and power to work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Jesus Christ through all generations forever and ever. Amen. Can you come to God and say, God, I can't do this on my own. And see in a short time that go from your need, your lack. Right? We had a great World War I army in 1942. We were still using horses. Do you know that? See, it turned and absolutely become the world dominant power in the military. That can happen in our lives as well. If we'll humble ourselves and come and say, God, you've done it before. Lessons learned. You've given me the 12 baskets before. You've given me my basket. Now I need you to move in this need or in that need. Help me in my life. Let's bow our heads for just a moment. God is willing to help us all. God is willing to do a miracle if we'll be simply willing to bow our knee and say, I can't do it. It begins, that's how salvation is. Salvation begins with us willing to say, Lord, I'm a sinner and I can't fix this on my own. I can't make this better on my own. God says, you're right, you can't. I sent Jesus Christ to fix it for you. If you'll come to him, if you'll bow your knee, if you'll receive him as Lord and Savior, he can touch and change your life. 
And maybe you're here this morning, you're not right with God, you're not saved, or you're not a Christian. Or you're backslidden, you're away from God, but you want to come to Jesus. You want to meet the Lord, you want to know what forgiveness is like. I wonder if you'd slip up your hand very quickly. Say, will you pray for me? Pastor, I need God to help me. Thank God. Anyone else? Thank God. Someone else, you want to join these honest hearts? Say, I'm not right with God. I'm not saved. I'm backslidden. I need God to touch my life. Very quickly. I'm going to move on in just a moment. But you're not right with God. You want to join these honest hearts? Amen. You raised your hand. Do you mean that? Would you come very quickly? Just kneel down right here. Would you come? I need a couple of sisters very quickly to just come and pray with these. Grace. Howie, thank you. Lead them in a sinner's prayer before you talk to them about anything else. That's what they responded to. I want to change the call then to Christians. There are people here who know, you know, God knows what you're going through. I don't necessarily. But I would say that there are times where we've, God's meet, met with us. And he's helped us before. But just like the disciples, it's a lesson unlearned. It's the, I missed it. There were 12 baskets. There were seven baskets. We were always taken care of. God always met the need. Why are we worried now? Why are we freaking out that we hear, oh my gosh, you know. Beware of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Yeast, oh, we, you know, and all we can filter life through is our needs. God wants to help us, but we have to, like Theodore Roosevelt had to. You, can, you know, there's more in the politics. It's a very simple, boiled down message. But the, the thought of that is he had to humble himself. He had to go to these people who he had demonized to get help. You and I have, we, we haven't demonized God, but we just have to humble ourselves and come to Almighty God. God, there's needs, and I need you to help me. I need you to meet these. Let's all stand. We're going to open these altars, allow people to find a place to pray. Take some time, worship God. Sing this song.
more time. Hallelujah, bless the land. Let's worship his name, give him praise. Father, we love you.